say for the last three months, I've honestly just been thinking about and praying about uh, what to share. And I feel like God has, over the last three months, I have a, uh, I've had a running to do open with comments in it. And I've just been adding comments as in prayer and just hearing and, and seeking for God for what he wanted to share. I think uh, singleness, uh, however long it lasts, sometimes it lasts forever, sometimes it's just for a season, is an incredibly important season in every single person's life. Uh, there are things that God did in that season in my life that uh, forever changed me. And um, that, you know, even as a married person, I miss the different kinds of intimacy I would have with God in my singleness. Um, we'll get into that today. I'm going to be speaking. The title of today's message is Everything a Loss. And I'll be speaking from Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Uh, I'll be using this as my anchor text, which means that a lot of the ideas and thoughts that I have will be coming from this text, but I will not be preaching as I normally do, which is going through verse by verse, that kind of thing. Um, so we're going to anchor ourselves in this text, and as I read it, uh, just remind it, and we'll keep on referring to it uh, throughout the session. Uh, but I'm really praying that and, and believing for God uh, to speak to each and every person's heart individually uh, about this season in your life, whether young or old, or it's been a long time or a little time, it does not matter. Uh, there is special things that God wants to do in this season, and a lot of times. Uh, I see people miss out on that over and over again, and we'll get into some of the reasons why. So we're going to read from Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read to verse 11. This is Paul, a single man, writing these words. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You know, this is the only true curse in the New Testament. No Bible translation actually translates it properly. It's uh, in the Greek, he's saying S-H-I-T. I count everything as that. Um, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. One thing I hear a lot is that single people don't want to hear from married people. Um, <laughs> so you may be mad that a married person is doing this session right now, and I don't care. Um, this session is not about how to get married. Uh, that is not what I'm going to be talking about. Although if you need help in that department and you want to get married, I will be happy to talk to you. Uh, the single brothers and sisters that talk to me about it, you know that I got you back. I'm praying for you if you want that or if that's in position for your life. Um, but this is not a session about that. Um, this is not a session at how to be good at waiting for marriage, uh, which I think a lot of singles workshops and talks kind of just distill on, you know, how to be in a good waiting season in your life or, you know, how to prepare yourself for marriage. We are not going to be talking about any of that. And I honestly think that, um, 
talking about singleness as a good season of waiting in your life is just scripturally BS, in my opinion. You know, Paul says it in this scripture, so I'm going to be saying that a lot. I'm going to take a a lot of freedoms, especially uh, with this today. I'm going to have fun. Uh, I'm doing this session because there's one thing that we should all have in common. Whether you are married, whether you are single, whether you are short or whether you are tall, whether you are old or whether you are young, and that is this. It is our pursuit in God. It is our pursuit in God. Um, All of us should have one ambition. All of us should have one aim. All of us should have one thing that we strive for. Pursuing God and the things of God. There should be nothing else that in our heart takes up space. There should be nothing else in our life that really takes up uh, our idolatry, our worship, our adoration. Nothing else. If you are a believer, if you believe in God, then there is one thing that is your ambition. There is one thing that is your aim, and that is the pursuit of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, put first the kingdom of God. That is the number one thing that we are called to do as Christians is God's kingdom comes first. He is our ambition. He is our pursuit. He is the one thing in our life that we strive for and that we aim towards. And that is it. Marriage is not the end game in life. And that is the true story. And so many times it becomes so much a priority in our life that it becomes the thing that now becomes our worship and our idolatry in life. And that cannot be. God must be our first and foremost love, aim, ambition, and pursuit. And that is the end of that. There is never a qualifier in any verses when it talks about pursuing God, when it talks about putting his kingdom first, when it talks about striving towards what God for you. There is nothing that says pursue the kingdom of God and marriage. It doesn't say, you know, that I count everything a loss except marriage. That is not the case. It's not except money. It's not except a house. It's not except all these other things. There is no qualifiers in scripture about this. There is one thing that we pursue. And in our pursuit of God, he leads us to all the other things that we are supposed to have in our life. And like I said, that could be marriage and it could not be marriage. But we do not hinge whether we like God or not, whether he's leading us towards these things. But we pursue God and we say, God, whatever you have for me, that is it. And I will not put qualifiers before my pursuit of you. Because a lot of times what we do is we say, I will pursue God if. And we qualify. If he gives me what I want. If he gives me the job I want. If he gives me the car I want. If he gives me the husband or the wife I want. If he gives me the love of my life I want. If he gives me the entertainment I want. If he gives me the money I want. And there is no qualifiers in scripture. There is one person we pursue and we do not put ifs in front of it. There is one ambition that we have. We do not put ifs in front of it. It is the end of the story in our life. We count it all a loss. What's funny is that Paul was actually happy to not be married. You know, we don't talk about that a lot in church. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, uh, he says this. He talks about this. You can read about it on your own. He even suggests that when you get married, you complicate your life. And why do you do that? Because you have things and people that you are now in charge of, that you have to take care of, that you have to worry about, that when you are single, you don't. Uh, And so he even suggests 
that maybe it's good for other people to stay like me, be single, because there's so much that I can do for the kingdom in this season, in this time in my life. So marriage is not an end goal as a Christian. You know, it's, it's funny. One thing uh, about marriage is a lot of people have a misconception about it. And I want to dis- dispel some of those things. I've heard a lot of this before that, you know, I will stop lusting when I get married. And, you know, when I can have regular sex on a non-guilty, non-shameful scale. Uh, and that's just not true. You know, I counsel married people, and this is why you want to hear from married people, because you want to understand the other side of the scale. Uh, and that's not true. If uh, I've counseled enough men and women, I've counseled my own heart to see that this is not the case. A lot of times people will think like, you know, marriage is going to solve all my problems and we put it on a pedestal and the, a lot of times the first thing we think about is, oh, it's going to solve my, my lust issues. And let me tell you that if you go into marriage with lust issues, guess what you will have after you get married? Lust issues. It's not going to go away. Those things do not change. You will continue your pornography habits. You will continue your cheating habits. You will continue your lusting habits. There is no relation to stopping those things just because you have made some vows on a special day. I hear people say, well, I won't be lonely anymore. Do you know that proximity to other people does not fix your loneliness? Proximity to other people will not fix your loneliness. If you need a case study for this, well, all of us live in New York City. How close to other people are you on a regular? I mean, you can be on the train literally packed with 150 people in your car and still feel lonely. Proximity to others will not change whether you feel lonely or not. Only proximity to God will fix your loneliness. I hear people say, well, I won't be depressed anymore. Well, all I have to say is, have you ever met a married person who is depressed? Yes. (laughs) I have met many, many, many depressed married people. Why? Because there is only, literally only one person that can solve these issues in our life. And I'm going to keep on coming back to this because... We have to understand and we have to realize that there are things that we strive for in life, um, but then there are things that we worship in life. And when we begin to worship things that are not God, we begin to think they can solve our issues. We begin to think they can solve our problems. We begin to think like, this is my cure-all. I remember one time when I was uh, living in Ohio, this one statement made an impression on me. There was a guy that got married and, you know, I didn't realize that he was living a rough life before he was married, uh, but apparently he was, and I was sitting in an office with a couple of pastors, and they're describing uh, this, this guy getting married, and one of the pastors said, him getting married was like penicillin in his life. Now, if you don't know what penicillin is, it's an antibiotic. It was really thought to be the cure-all when it was first discovered because antibiotics cure so many things. It destroys so many infections. So what this pastor was saying was marriage for this guy was like his antibiotics. It fixed all the issues in his life. And I remember thinking at that time I was 18, like, wow, like, you know, God brought him a spouse and in his marriage, he was able to fix 
all these different issues. Uh, And it stuck with me because a few years later, even though, because I got that thought in my head thinking, okay, some of these issues that I'm going through, marriage is going to fix those things for me. So I'm going to put these issues on the back burner. I'm going to put them on the shelf because now I know that when I get married, we're going to have to deal with those skeletons in those closets. But then a few years later, um, I was talking to one of my friends and anybody that knows the grapevine in church, you just, you know, you hear everything that goes on in people's lives uh, from the grapevine. And my friend tells me, well, this guy, the, the guy that this pastor had said this about, he had just gotten divorced. And I was just like, what do you mean? Like, what happened? And the, I mean, the, the rabbit trail of what happened was uh, literally, it was, it was insane. I, I, had, I had no clue, but some people heard about this, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it in a second, and they weren't shocked. And I was thinking, why were you not shocked? It's because we knew that this is how this person acted before they got married. And so when it happened when they were married, it really wasn't that much of a shock. But for me, it was a shock. Uh, Why? Because, you know, the person went into drug abuse, and then uh, after the drug abuse, went into uh, uh, hiring prostitutes, and then after hiring prostitutes, would bring prostitutes, male and female, back to the house uh, while his wife was still there and engaged in all these different things. And, you know, after a time, she finally said, I have enough, you know, I can't get married to you. Uh, and they got a divorce. Um, and that really shook me up because I'd remembered that statement that the pastor had said about this guy that uh, when he got married, that this had cured all his problems. But uh, really, uh, marriage was just a Band-Aid to a gaping wound uh, in him that could not heal, solve any of the problems. And a lot of times, that's how we think about it. We think, you know, if, if I can obtain something or this one thing, maybe I will be good in life. You know, a symptom of humanity is to look at what other people have and what you do not have and think that it will cure your heart. And so one thing that a lot of people, especially in singleness do is they will look at the married people and they will look at married life and they think if I just have that you know if I just have what they have in the movies or in the tv show if I have my true love if I have somebody nice to wake up to you know you can't smell somebody's breath in a tv show what you wake up to you know like you you don't get all of those other things thankfully Heather has great breath in the morning she's here so I have to qualify a couple of my statements but these are Things that we think, man, if I just have that, we, we tend to, in, in our human natures, to look at what other people have, look at other people's stage of life, and to think, if I just had what that person has, or if I just had it this way, then life would be better. Life would be great. This would cure the things that were going on in my heart. But the only thing, the only thing that will bring a cure to your heart is found in Christ. The only thing that will bring a cure to your heart, to all these things that we talked about, is found in Christ. It's not a promotion at work. It's not a new job. It's not more friends. It's not a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not a husband or a wife. It's not all these things that we want that the world tells us. These are the things that you strive for. These are the things that you need because they will make you happy. They will make you content. They will make you joyful. They will make you secure. They will bring you all the desires of your heart and you will be happy. You will no longer be lonely. You won't be depressed. You won't be anxious anymore. If you just have what this person has or what on this show or in this Instagram account, but all 
all of those things will not cure the ailment of your heart called sin. And the only thing that will cure those things in your life is Christ. And so many times we look at what other people have and we desire and we put so much energy into desiring and pursuing and striving after the things that the world tells us are the things that we need to cure the ailments of our heart that we forget about pursuing the one who can. And so what happens is we live a life like a hamster. You know, on that little hamster wheel is constantly putting all of this energy in all, you know, they, I mean, have you ever seen a hamster go on the hamster wheel? It's crazy. Those things can go for a while and they put it, it goes faster and faster and it speeds up, but they are literally going nowhere. And we put all this energy, we put all of this, this thought, we put all of this emotion into things like, man, if I just had this, if I just had that. And then when we get those things. Well, if I just had this as well, maybe if I had that as well, you know, when, when, when people get married, it's like, oh, well, maybe if she just did this better, if he just did that better, you know, and then they start doing that better. Well, if they also did this as well, you know, it becomes a never ending cycle. If I just had something, but God is saying that I have the cure for your heart. I have the miracle that brings you out of loneliness, that brings you out of depression, that brings you contentedness, that brings you joyfulness, that allows you to rejoice in any situation that you are. I have that for you. But yet we still look to what other people have. We still look to the other things of this world and say, I will pursue that. You know, a lot of times what uh, I find is that maturity uh, especially in Christ, is linked to marriage. And I hear a lot of single people gripe about this a lot. You know, it goes something like this. If you are a married person, you are more mature in life. Uh, and if you aren't, you're less mature. Uh, and, you know, if you're comparing two people of the same age, and it's like, oh, that guy's married, that's why he's more mature. Or that girl's married, that's why she seems more mature. Uh, and this is another misconception. This is another misconception about life. Uh, it's one that I've actually thought about a lot and prayed about a lot and trying to kind of get to the crux of what this was. And right away we see in Paul that this is untrue, right? Paul is a single guy, one of the most mature Christians uh, that you can read about in the Bible. Uh, and nobody was comparing him to a married person saying, well, actually, you know, I think this person was more spiritually there because they were married. That just was not happening because it is not true. But why is it that married people do seem more mature sometimes? And if I had to give it one word, it's this, sacrifice, sacrifice. You know, in the world, single means selfish. Singleness is the time to be selfish. Singleness is marked by late nights out, it's marked by partying, it's marked by drinking, it's marked by sex, it's marked by lots of vacations, it's marked by oversleeping, it's marked by home entertainment, it's marked by all of these things, basically you doing you. And when you ask the world, why don't you want to get married, it's really because I don't want to give up my rights to all of these things, my time, my privilege, and my money, right? In a word, all of that is sacrifice. 
And so what happens is the longer that you are single by the world's standards, the more selfish you become. When you look at how the world views these things, well, just think about it. If I spent five years doing everything I want as opposed to 20 years doing everything I want, how much harder would it be to break me out of my habits 20 years later than it would be five years later? And so the world's version of singleness is actually harmful in God's system because a follower of God is marked by what? Sacrifice. Follower of God is marked by sacrifice. Or as Paul puts it here, a follower of God is marked by loss. A person in God's system who is marked by sacrifice is a person who gives away their autonomy, is a person who gives away their self-desires, is a person who gives away their worldly goods. In God's system, when you begin to follow him, you say that I am no longer autonomous over my time. I am no longer autonomous over my money. I am no longer autonomous over what I do. Instead, I give up my life. I give up my privilege. I give up my money. I give up all of these things and I put them into the lordship of Christ and I count it all a loss. I count it as garbage. It's worthless to me is what Paul says. So what is it about marriage that makes people seem more mature? And it's because this, marriage, successful marriage, is all about one word, sacrifice. Why is it about that? Because marriage shows the relationship between God and his church, which is one of sacrifice. And so a true union of people, a true marriage, is one of sacrifice. So if you want to stay married, you learn to live with loss. You learn to live with loss of your money. You learn to live with loss of your time. You learn to live with loss of your power. You learn to live with loss of your privilege. But the thing is, you don't need to be married to learn this. And that's the kicker. In fact, if you are waiting for marriage in order to learn this, then I would say you are behind the curb. These are all things that we are taught to value and learn in the kingdom of God. And if there are people that never learn it and do end up getting married, there is one word that is in their future, and that's divorce. Because really, many times what happens when divorce happens is because one or both people are unwilling to sacrifice what they want for each other. They are marked by saying, no, that's my money, that's my time, that's my privilege, that's my power. And I'm unwilling to give that to you. And so what happens is the same thing that would happen if I said that to God. That is a disunity of relationship, a separation that happens. So that's why I tell all my single people all the time that if a person has not learned to love God... Don't let yourself be their test case, right? If they haven't learned to sacrifice to God, guess who's going to have to teach it to them? You. And they may never learn, right? I had to, and this is, this is the hard truth, I had to commit adultery to God many times over in order for myself not to learn how to commit adultery to Heather. You know, that's a hard but true statement, 
for many years, right, I committed adultery against God. And in those times, God was teaching me what love and what sacrifice and what grace and what mercy is. I didn't learn that in marriage. Heather didn't have to teach me that. In fact, thank God that I didn't for her sake and for my sake. Because if she had to teach me, guess what? I would have had to commit those sins not against God, but against her. And so if we are thinking, man, I will wait to this next stage or I will wait to this next time in my life to learn how to get away from pornography, to learn how not to cheat, to learn how not to date around, to learn how to not be emotionally involved with all these different people, to learn how to give away my time, to learn how to give away my money, then guess what? We are going to be learning with the wrong people when we should be learning with God now. Living a life of loss produces maturity, not marriage. Marriage sometimes just helps speed it up. You know, and I think it's funny, it's, it's why the world hates kids so much. Because if you think marriage takes away a lot of your time, money, and power, wait for the kiddos, right? Like, at this point, it's like, you know, I just got to budget a kid in my budget, you know? Like, this kid is X amount of hundreds of dollars every month, you know? Like, and that's, that's part of it. This, you know, this is my time. You know, I, I used to have large swaths of time to myself. You know, I could do whatever I wanted. I could watch movies. I could read books. I could go out like that. that is just, I can't leave my sons alone, you know, home. It's just, not possible. I also just can't ditch Heather and just be like, yo, goodbye. And this is why the world hates that, because in the world's economy, in the world's system, well, time, power, money, these are things that you accumulate. These are things that you hold selfish. These are things that you hold dear. You don't give those things away. And anything that would try to take your autonomy from you is something that you run away from. So you run away from real marriage. You run away from kids. You run away from God because God wants it all. He doesn't want a compartment. He doesn't want an hour and a half of your life every Sunday. He wants every single part of you so that you can say what Paul said, that I count everything a loss, that everything I once held dear, everything I thought that was important, everything I desired, everything I prayed for, everything I thought would be amazing to have, I count it all a loss. It's gone and it's garbage. Why God says in Scripture, kids are a blessing. Right? It, it actually has taken me a while to figure that out. <laughs> Heather's laughing loud because it's the same for her. <laughs> We're still learning this. Right? Because as a parent, I was forced to give up more than I was expecting. You know, I, I would say I, I was forced to give up more dreams than I was expecting to give up. I was forced to give up more money than I was expecting to give up. I was. Even the talent that I have, that God had given me, that I'm good at, I had to give up some of my talents to say, you know what, that it is more important to invest into my children in this time in my life than it is to invest in things that I want to do. Right? If I want to be a good parent, this is what I do. I cannot not give up those things and still be a good parent. If I don't give up those things, what am I? I'm a, I'm a bad parent. But all of these things, these were things I did not have to learn as a married person or as a father. These were things that God had to deal with me as a single person. 
that these are things that God had to do in my heart in my single days. Look into your own life. Do you live a life of loss? It's okay to grieve. It's okay to mourn. There are so many things in my life that I had to sit down in my room and mourn that I will not be doing any of these things anymore. Do you know that literally pornography, anybody that knows me long enough knows that that is an addiction that had from fifth grade, I think was the first time I watched porn and then from there on struggled with it. Most of my adult life and all of my teenage life. When I actually started to really stop doing this, I had to mourn the loss of pornography in my life. There was a time in my life where I couldn't imagine my life without porn in it. That it was something that I retreated to so much, something that, and you would think this, this destructive thing, how could you want it? And I had to be honest with myself. You know, after doing it for long enough, I love this. I like this. And the, and the hard thing is, is we're just not honest with ourselves. We, we lie to ourselves and tell us, no, I don't like this, God. I don't want to do this anymore. Yet you do it every single day or you do it four times a week. Guess what? You love it. And you are just not being honest with yourself anymore. You are lying to yourself to keep away the shame and the guilt that you feel after you do it. But I had to come to grips with myself that I actually love doing this. And now that I can honestly say, God, that I love this, now I have to go through a mourning period of saying, I'm going to lose this. So many times we haven't properly mourned the things that God is calling us to give up. And we just think, man, someone's going to pray for me. I'll go into service and all of a sudden I'll be fine after that. And that's just not the truth. It is a, there are some things that are so deeply rooted in our hearts, some things that are so part of our identity that is not who God created us to be. That we have to go through, it's almost as if somebody in our family has died, someone close to us has passed away, that we have to mourn that part of who I feel like I am at this point. That was part of who I was, part of my identity, part of who I thought of myself as, part of who I am, I'm going to give up now. I'm going to say, is, 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 I, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't be a part of me anymore. I had to go through it say, I am going to lose this in my life. Do you live a life of loss? Is your relationship with God marked by loss? Is everything that you want, your dreams, your hopes, your money, your desires, your time, is it really crap compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? Is it? When all of these things that you look at at your life, all of, all of these treasures that we have, all of the things that we want, all of the things that we are proud of, that we have accomplished and that we do, is it really all garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? Have you come to the point in your life where you can say, any day I will pick Jesus over all of these things that I have in your life? What we are about to talk about next week in James is who cares what you say to yourself, but show me what you do. Show me your actions. Don't show me your words anymore, because too often people think the kingdom of God is in words. And Paul says the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. Deed. Is everything garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? Is everything garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? 
When you can look at everything in your life, you can look at all of the ambitions, all of these things. You can look at your time, money, God, whatever you wanted to take, whatever you do take. Maybe some of it is being called to be a loss in you and saying, you know what? If that means I know you more than guess what? This is garbage to me anyway. Because the worth of knowing you, the value of that is so much more than anything that I can possibly have as a worldly possession. God is calling you now to live a life of sacrifice. One of loss to the perishable things of this world for the imperishable things that God offers you. Here are some truths as a single person. You have more disposable income. It's just a truth. You have more disposable income. Will you learn to take a loss on it and give it to God? Will you learn to lay down your money and say, God, this is yours? Here's another truth as a single person. You have more time. Will you learn to sacrifice your time for the kingdom of God to do things that you may not want to do? God is calling you to use your time for his kingdom. Will you say, God, even I don't want to do this, it doesn't appeal to me in any way. There's no reason I would rather be home on Netflix or video games or out with my friends. But will you learn to sacrifice your time and say, I will take a loss for your kingdom? Will you learn now to lay down your dreams for the dream of the kingdom of God being established on earth? Which dreams will take precedent in your life? Will it be the dreams that you have had for yourself or will it be the dream of the kingdom of God being established on earth? Don't give in to the lie that the other things will fix your heart, will fix your condition besides Jesus. I implore you today, come to Jesus and know Say, God, I'm, I'm going to stop lying to myself that some far off thing is going to fix my problems, that some uh, whatever it is, it may be marriage, it may be a job, it may be a person, it may be whatever it is that you have held in your head at a pedestal. And if you said, if I just have that. But the call today is to say, God, I'm going to stop lying to myself. I'm going to stop running to these things that all will leave me wanting. Nothing will leave me satisfied. And I will come to you because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That you are the only healer. You are the only one that can do the miraculous. You are the only savior. You are the only refuge. You are the only foundation. You are my strong tower. You, Christ. Come to him in repentance and say, God, I've held these things back from you. I've held my time from you. I've held my money from you. I've held my dreams from you. I've held my identity from you. And I've said they are mine. But I come to you today and say, no, these things are yours. Matthew 16, 24. 
Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? In the act of giving up all, you will find what you were looking for. It's the craziest paradox. You will find eternal reward. You will find security. You will find joy and you will find comfort. Don't wait for another event. Don't wait for another time. But come to God now and say, God, teach me what it means to sacrifice. Teach me what it means to count it all a loss. Teach me what it means to lose my autonomy over myself. Teach me what it means to say this is not my money, it's yours. Teach me what it means to say, God, this is not my time, this is not my schedule, this is all yours. I I, I bring it all before you. You are king. You are Lord. I am your servant. Tell me what to do with it, Lord. This is not something that's mine that I am reluctantly giving it to you, but I am saying all of this is yours. My identity is yours. My time is yours. My money is yours. My dreams are yours. All the things that I desire, let it be yours that I would seek first the kingdom of God. And then whatever you can add unto me, you add unto me. But you will be my sole focus. You will be my sole thought. You will be like a horse. When they put a horse in a race, they put blinders on the horse so that they can't look to the left or to the right and get distracted about what everybody else is doing, what all the other horses are going, how fast or how slow they're going, so that they can look straight ahead at the prize and see that one thing, like Paul said, I have fought the good fought. I have finished the race. Do you have the blinders on so that you don't look to the left or the right and you see that one prize ahead of you and that's Christ, eternal life with him that you can look and say I don't want to see I want these blinders on because everything else is garbage everything else is a loss I I don't care about what you do with my time I don't care about what you do with my money I don't care about what you do with my dreams God I don't care about what you do with anything that I have as long as I can obtain you this resurrection from the dead as long as I have eternal life God everything else is garbage just give me you As Paul says here, he says that I may know him, that I may know him. How many of you have desired day and night that I may know him where you wake up and say, God, I just want to know you more. I just want to know you more. God, that's the desire of my heart. God, just teach me more about you that I wouldn't understand the surpassing worth of what it is like to know the son of God and be in the presence of the almighty and have his spirit surround me and and, and overshadow me. God, there is nothing better, God, that I would know you more. The power of his resurrection in you may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death in his sacrifice, in his loss, as his example to us, who is the first one to say, I will lose my crown, I will lose my throne room, I will lose my privilege, I will even have all the weight of the sin of the world, I will lose all that I am, and I will die for you. But we come to that same point and say, God, whatever it is that you call me to lose, I will lose. Because you've gone, you believe to the point of death. Whatever you can take from me to the point of death, God, it is all 
yours. The thing I love about the single years is that it is a time that God can use you in incredible ways. You will never have more time in your life than you have now. Will you get on your knees and say, God, I want to know you more. God, have everything in me. Take it. Have it. Or will we live this life that the world tells us to live, one of selfishness, one that says, the more I can obtain, the more I can wrap around my arms, the more I can keep my time, my money, and my dreams, the more I have all these and the more I take from others to increase me, the better life is. Because we are making a choice whether we are consciously doing it or we're subconsciously doing it. But today we can consciously make a choice. God, have it all that I may know you, the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings, that I may be like you in your death. Pray with me. you to do a bold thing that if God is putting it on your heart right now to give to give up your autonomy your time money privilege power all the things that you held dear your dreams I know the Holy Spirit is here and he is working on your heart to say today God I will count it all a loss can I ask you to do a bold thing and just stand up? Father, I thank you. thank you, God, that there can be nothing better in life than to know you. Nothing better in life than to pursue you, than to chase after you. God, I thank you, God, that every single person that is standing is saying, Lord, before you, before others, God, that they are ready to sacrifice. Maybe some of them have already sacrificed some, but you are calling them to more. God, that you are calling them not to just a next piece, but you are calling us to all, Father. Lord, and I pray as your Holy Spirit is here right now, Lord, that you will begin to reveal the things in our heart that you are calling us to. God, that we would say we will not live a life that is bent around what we want, that is bent around our needs and is bent around the things that we desire. But Father, that we would bend our knee in obedience towards you today to say, God, we will serve you with all.